The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, two pickles and a very large potato, more snacks across the USA, and special guest NASCAR pit reporter Doug Turnbull. All that and a whole bunch more informative automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim. Let's kick it in overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident car nut, and Tim DePasquale, a poster to the stars. Tim, how you doing, man? I'm good, Bud. How are you? I'm doing great. What good. are the choices, right? Yeah, right. Did a little traveling on, uh, you know, over the, the holiday. and mm-hmm. uh, Actually, I traveled before the holiday. I tried to beat the holiday. Yeah. And you were out on the tractor, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole, whole oh, you're out weekend. On the tractor. We're on the Trailblazer Tim. Yeah, that's it. That's the, me. Mm-hmm. Pascarosa. Yeah. Have you air conditioned the tractor yet? No, no, no. We <laughs> like being out there in the heat. It's good to sweat a little bit. All right. How about our first pickle that you'd like to talk about? This is actually called the nickel pickle. Yeah, the nickel pickle. Well, you know, Bud, they were using cobalt yes. to make the batteries for electric cars. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people were like, well, you know, you, you've got these little kids uh, mining cobalt in the Congo, and that's not right. So what they decided to do was change up to nickel to replace a lot of the cobalt with nickel so that the kids wouldn't be. So I don't know. The kids over in the Congo are probably starving now because they can't go mining and they weren't going to school anyway. So God knows what they're doing to make money. But the nickel is in Indonesia and the nickel is right under the surface of the ground. The only thing they have to do is clear the rainforest. To get whoa, to whoa, it. Whoa, 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 Clear the rainforest? Yeah. Yeah, so they're just mowing. How, how is this helping the environment? Well, hey, 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 hey. You're not allowed to ask that, bud. So they're clearing the rainforest. They're it, clearing it, it, the in rainforest. What, in, what, uh, in what scale are we talking here? Are these like huge mines? And Yes. So they're like, they're, they're like a strip mine. Right, exactly. It's just like mountaintop mining in West Virginia. Nobody complained about that, though, did they? Wow. <laughs> So, it, let's see, greenhouse gas equivalent to 56,000 tons of carbon dioxide. Oh, my God. Uh, and and, and what, are the, what are the environmentalists saying about this? The environmentalists don't appear to be saying anything because they're... Because it's know, not in their backyard. It's, right, right, right. It, 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 and not only that, to get the nickel, to process the nickel... To make it useful in EV batteries, they have a process that uh, they use high-pressure acid leach, or HPAI. The technique has been around for decades. This is smelting. This is, they use sulfuric acid and heat it to more than 400 degrees Fahrenheit at enormous pressure. And that's the way that this, and then it leaves a slurry. A highly toxic slurry that nobody really knows what to do with in Indonesia. And this is not a slurry with the fringe on top. This is a dangerous slurry. This is a very dangerous slurry. And it's made out of sulfuric acid. Sulfuric acid. Folks, so you ever been around a charging battery that's that's been charging mm, too long and smells sulfuric acid? 
or, and, you know, have a catalytic converter that goes bad. Could you imagine being exposed to that stuff all day long? And they got, in the picture here, they've got little cloth masks on like people were yeah. wearing during the COVID thing. Right. That's right. going to protect you. Sure. Not. And Indonesian law allows these companies to obtain permits to discard this slurry into the ocean. Yeah. Oh. That's really helping the environment. And this is so we can all have the electric so, vehicles that yeah. I was... So us here in America going can drive it. our electric cars and... But, you, you know, don't say anything negative, bud, because they are listening. This is a circus. This is a huge circus. Meanwhile, are these folks all, are these, these miners and stuff, what kind of equipment are they using to mine this stuff? It's not electric. No, it's bulldozers, diesel-powered, you know, equipment, just like they used to mine coal in West Virginia. And we're going we're gonna to tear down the rainforest for this. Mm-hmm. Well, they say they can grow more trees afterwards. They promise to restore the land afterwards. Oh yeah, I'm 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 pretty sure that if you um, you know dump sulfuric acid on the ground and stuff, it just goes away after you know very quickly. What are you What are you laughing at over there? <laughs> Bill's over there listening, and he's just saying you have to laugh or you cry. Well, it it is very sad. You know, uh, I I don't know. Well, they used to get a, a higher grade of nickel out of Canada and Russia, but the mines were much deeper, but it didn't take as much effort to refine the nickel to be usable in EV batteries, but, but it was more costly because you had to go deeper to get it. And you got to go to Russia to get it. And, well, yeah. 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 Right. And, or Canada, of all places. Hey. <laughs> take oh. off, you hoser. Uh, well, speaking, speaking of pickles... Oh, this this just makes your mind real. I saw the Idaho potato on a flatbed on my last trip up north. You know the commercial they have with the the truck yeah. driver that's got. And they actually, I you know, I thought it was just a, a gag thing. It it's is a actually giant a giant potato. potato on a truck. Oh my goodness! It was going the other way. If I could have if I could have made a U turn and caught up with the thing just mm-hmm. to see what just the a- tater was made of. It was the biggest tater I ever saw. I'll tell you. But I, I and of course me, my mind starts wandering. How many fries could I get out of that tater? That would be an interesting subject. Well, I'm sure. Now, Bill would probably know this. You know this kind of stuff, Bill. Is there a regulation uh, French fry size? No. Is that why we have curly fries at Arby's that are, you know, the size of a, like four regular fries? As far as I know, you can make a fry as big as you want it. Wow. Wow. Okay. But I bet there's a mathematic formula that you put in length times width times girth times whatever. Oh, I'm sure. Whatever. McDonald's has it figured and out. And somebody can tell us. Mm-hmm. From the size of that potato that was on the truck, how many fries we could get out of that. Right. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to assign that as homework. Okay. All right. How many French fries in a large potato? All right. All right. Do the math. I'm sure there's a formula online. I'm sure there is. All right. Moving on to uh, another pickle. Not tater. Moving on to another pickle. The Toyota Toyota. Toyota the Toyota pickle. Yes. Tell us about Mr. Toyota Mr. and what Toyota they're doing to the, da, the poor gentleman. Who had the audacity to speak the truth. Chairman Akio Toyota is being punished by... Um, He's being targeted by investor groups, like that retirement funds that have investments yeah, and all, because he had the nerve to say 
that uh, we're going to need more than 300 new lithium, cobalt, nickel, and graphite mines to right. meet expected battery demand. Right, right. The amount of raw materials in one long-range battery electric vehicle could instead be used to make six plug-in hybrid vehicles or 90 complete hybrid electric vehicles. Well, you see, he made news in December, and we reported this on our show that a silent majority in the auto industry was wondering whether EVs are really okay to have as a single option, but they think it's a trend, so they can't speak out loudly. That's what he was saying about other CEOs of major car companies. He emphasized that the battery-powered EVs are not the only way to achieve the world's carbon neutrality goals when there are hybrids and plug-in hybrids as alternatives. Well, he said that uh, <clears throat> 90 hybrids over their lifetimes is 37 times as much as a single battery electric vehicle. The overall reduction of carbon of 90 yeah. hybrids over their lifetime is 37 times as much as, as a, single a single battery, battery electric it, vehicle. So there you go. So there you go. It goes on <clears throat> and on and on. Tim, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Now that we've had the founders, designers, machinists, catalog writers, and brothers Randy and Kevin Red on this podcast from Concept One Pulley Systems, do you think people will start to understand what goes into every system they design? Right. It, wow. So much. So much work that they have to do to get this right. So much in research, and they've got the links with the OEMs, so they know about power steering pressures and things like that. Um, you know, Concept One designs and builds fit. The finish, the components, the instructions have all been thought out way before you receive their pulley kits. And if you have a special situation, Tim, what can you do? Well, you give them a call and you can actually talk to them. Yeah, you're not calling a vendor and being told you have to talk to the manufacturer. They are the manufacturer. Right. Pick up the phone and talk to the folks who can work you through your project. Check out all their products and videos at Concept One Pulley Systems. One more time. Concept One Police. One more time. Concept One. Let me see what's written on yours. Oh. Should I be looking at the bottom? Bottom. C1. Policesystems.com. Okay. Ready? Yep. C1Policesystems.com. Don't waste your time anywhere else. Well, Tim, we should all know by now that you can't leave kids or pets in a hot car. Right. And if, if you haven't got that figured out, you probably shouldn't have either one. No, you shouldn't. But, um, you know, we're, I mean, we're in an age where you have to have a fishing license, but not a license mm-hmm. to have kids. I know. Yeah. Anyway. But here's some other things that you shouldn't leave in a hot car. This comes to us from Lauren Fix, the car coach. And uh, I'm going to give you a quick uh, rundown, and then we'll uh, go through them one by one. Beer, mirrors, meds, phones, iPads, and sunscreen. So there's a story about a baby view- viewing mirror. You know, one of these things you can attach to your front seat so you can see the baby sitting behind right. you. Right. A woman had one in her car and uh, got out of the car, took the kids out of the car and all that and did their mm-hmm. thing. And that mirror concentrated that sunbeam on the car seat, started it on fire. Unbelievable. She opened the car door, you know, in, in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was just a fluke. She got to the car, they put the kids in it, and the seat was on fire. Oh, my. So it acted like a magnifying glass. Yeah, right. I never thought about that, but, uh, you know, something you need to think of. Um, 
water bottles, if you leave them in the car and they get hot. Mm-hmm. And I, I see this at some of the, the convenience stores where they stack it up outside. Right. That plastic, the chemicals in the plastic get into the water, so it makes the water taste funky, and it's mm-hmm. probably not good for you. Probably not. Did you know, gentlemen, that sunscreen SPF is reduced when exposed to heat? I had no idea. In the container. Yeah, I see your... Yeah, I see how you're... I was like, wait I a saw, second. <laughs> I saw a look on your face. If you have it in a container. And a, a, a dangerous sunscreen to have in your car is the aerosol stuff. Mm. Now, it's very handy to apply, mm-hmm. uh, but... That's the only way I can apply it, because I'm a bachelor. You can't exactly walk up to strange people and say, can you rub my back, sailor? <laughs> Well, you can, but... Uh, <laughs> Depends on where the beach you're at. So I kind of have to use an aerosol. Yeah, okay. okay. Well, there well, you go. Then you can... Right, never mind. No. Let's, just, let's just let it go. We'll, and, we'll save that for overdrive. Okay. Any kind of carbonated beverage. It ruins the taste of beer, I can tell you that, if it gets hot. Oh, really? Yeah. You've never tasted skunky beer before? Oh, no. No, no yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, crayons and candy. Mm, crayons, I get that. In candy. Mm-hmm. How, now they, how do you get crayons out of upholstery, by the way? You cut the nearest seam and replace the <laughs> that's panel. What, that's what I was thinking. You can't yeah, steam you, it out or anything no, like that? No, no, no. It's done. Cut the nearest. It's when it's done, it's done. iPads and phones. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Well, your phone will actually give you a warning. If it's too hot, it won't work. Mm-hmm. Have you ever put your phone in the fridge? No. I have. You... Well, because I, I, I left it in the truck up on the dash, and it uh-huh. was hot, and I had to make a call, so I've, I'm so going to get this thing cooled down, so I threw it in the did freezer. Did you get in the, f- I just the fridge with it? No, I just threw it in the I freezer. I took my daughter to Philadelphia uh, over Christmas one time. We were doing the touristy thing, mm-hmm. and it was 20 degrees in downtown Philadelphia. Our phones stopped working instantly. Because really? it was too cold? Bam. It was too cold, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I hadn't run into that. Oh, yeah. Well, here in Georgia, you don't too often. No. Maybe last winter for a day or two. I mean, it didn't take any time at all for our phones to be paperweights. Huh. Hmm. Very interesting. I've thought about launching mine several times. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Medications. You know, those of us that have a pill box that we carry with us, not Mm -hmm. necessarily with us, but, you know, or traveling with or something like that, you don't want to leave those meds in the car, uh, get too hot, that's not good for them. It's, yeah, it's so many things I... That you leave in the car constantly. <laughs> so means I got to start carrying my heroin with me. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I guess. Oh gosh. Oh, got it. All right. You know, I can take you Those guys. Those quaaludes in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? Yeah. Mr. Pepperoni rolls. <laughs> well, you get the munchies, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I should have known better. Okay, Tim, let me ask you a quick question about the guys who work for you. How many of them uh, have kids? Uh, Don't even look at me. I mean, how many of them have to have child care for their kids, have young kids? Yeah, all of them. All of them, really? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Uh, child care is a big part of our society now. Yeah, it is. Because uh, both folks got to work. They have got a program at Lanier Technical College, the Early Childhood Care and Education Program. It's a whole. It's a sequence of courses designed to provide students for careers in child care, uh, 
programs. Wow, that's a great idea. Well, it is because you're, they're, they're way more than babysitting programs mm-hmm. anymore. You know, and I've seen the program. When I was working at the Oakwood campus, the program was actually located uh, just down the hall from us. We have criminal justice on one side and child care on the other side. There's probably a story in that. But you can get an early childhood care and education degree. You can get diploma level, early childhood care and education diploma, and a certificate level in child development specialist certificate, early childhood care and education basics, you know, learning your ABCs and things like that. That's what they need to be doing, you know, in child care when they get to the, the right age of that. And infant and toddler child care specialist. Mm-hmm. So it covers the gamut of things. It's offered at three of the campuses of Lanier Technical College. And it's a, it's a great way to get an education for something that is really relevant to everyday life oh, for yeah. so many folks. Right. And, uh, you know, the better trained the people are at the daycare center, the better you feel about all of it. Mm-hmm. So check out that and all of the programs in public safety and professional services and much, much more. At Lanier Technical College, LanierTech.edu. This week's guest on Bud's Garage Overdrive. I can't believe we've known each other for 20 years and don't know a whole lot about each other. And Tim, that would be Doug Turnbull from WSB Radio in Atlanta. But he is also a Performance Racing Network pit reporter. Mm-hmm. And we had to find, about, find out a little bit about how he got into all this silliness. And right. I mean, the silliness that we're all involved with. It's not just what you're doing is silly. What we all do is a little bit What it is wacky. besides getting us to work and home safely that <laughs> Doug does with his life. Well, let's, let's start out from the beginning. Doug, welcome into Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast. It's good to be here, guys. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on. How, how did this whole journey start for you? Were you a car guy? Were you raised around cars? Were you raised around racing? Were you raised around traffic? How did this all come together for you? Yeah, I might have gotten hit in traffic a couple of times. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's good to be on with y'all. Thank you for asking. And uh, so the, the, I mean, the long story short of it is, I had an interest in broadcasting from when I was a child, off and on. But at the time of my life that this all began was probably the time that I was least sure of what exactly I wanted to do. And so basically the way I got into broadcasting so it was my mom sent an email to our lead traffic reporter at WSB Radio for many years, Captain Herb Emery, and just said, hey, my son likes racing and broadcasting, and I know you're involved in that. And he pretty much said, come on down. Just have him come to the station and meet me. And I literally showed up at WSB three days after high school, and he took me on a tour and then asked me if I wanted to be an intern. And he didn't ask me if I wanted to be an intern until we had started talking racing. And I did know a lot about racing, got into NASCAR, just watching it on TV when I was in high school. Uh, I did like cars a lot as a kid, but I never mechanically became in tune with cars. But I did, but so that was not related to anything to do with NASCAR. I just watched the, the 2001 Daytona 500 of Fox and then immediately just immerse myself in as much racing as I could. And I think that really helped me hit it off with Captain Herb. And I wasn't trying to suck up to him or, like, leave any more of an impression than just being nice. But I think that really he saw something there that made him ask me if I wanted to be an intern. And so literally three days after graduating Lakeside High School, May 25, 2004, he got me a badge printed up, and I've been hanging out in our traffic center uh, with the traffic team ever since. 
And then just being adjacent to Captain Herb got me closer to racing, obviously, with his racing show that was then called the Allen Digital 120 for many years. And that got me to the racetrack and then just just on after that. So that's traffic in NASCAR as far as media involvement began at the same time. And neither really was super influenced by how I was brought up necessarily. So you get into the traffic thing first or you get into them kind of simultaneously. Is that what you're saying? But basically, yeah. I liked racing and broadcasting before meeting Captain Herb, but I never saw my path to being involved with either necessarily when I was 18 years old. And then they all they both kind of happened at the same time because Captain Herb Emery was involved in both. So that's that's basically how it happened. There wasn't any super skill or savant power or anything like that that I had. It really was just savant power. Yeah. When I showed up. You know, there wasn't anything special. I wasn't doing. I mean, there was there wasn't YouTube at that time. You know, but I wasn't sitting there as a nine year old doing fake reports and sending videos out to people or something like that. Or you know, I wasn't sitting there and memorizing all these racing facts as a twelve year old or something. It, it literally, I got into racing when I was a freshman in high school, and then just it, it just grew from there. And the broadcasting interest was always there for me, watching and listening to local news growing up, basically, and that and. It just happened. God had a plan, and that plan married itself quickly there in 2004. Did you have any kind of broadcasting program or, or public announcing or football announcing or anything uh, involvement in high school? Yeah, good question. Uh, so, yes, I did. I've, I always felt like I had an aptitude for it, or maybe not even an aptitude, just a like for doing that kind of thing. So whether it was a kid being in dramas at church, which they had you know, one or two plays every year for mm-hmm. Christmas, and just I was always involved in that and getting to sometimes make announcements in front of church and things like that. And then it just in high school or no, in, in elementary school and in high school, I got to be the MC of different school events, one of several MCs of different school events. And then my senior year of high school, I actually did, was on the school news and was and really my, my stick on there was actually being goofy. I mean, I was reading the announcements with other students, but I was. I definitely was making fun of being an anchorman when I was doing it, and that, that became a shtick that I had in high school. But, I, but when I graduated high school, I wasn't necessarily sure that that was going to be my path. I hadn't ruled it out, but I hadn't really decided yet. And you know, I entered Georgia State University after I'd begun at WSB, by the way, as an undeclared major and eventually just minored in journalism and majored in political science because I was getting my college education at WSB, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I can understand that. Now, do we have any of the old tapes? <laughs> That's what I want to get my hands on. The old tapes of, I, of Doug being goofy in high school. I do have an old VHS tape. Ah. Yes, I do have an old VHS tape. They're actually, so I had a segment here. This may be like, are you, why are you bringing this up? But I had a segment that I did that was separate than just reading the announcements. And it was pretty much a man or person on the street type thing. And it was called Mr. Underwear on the Outside of the Pants Man, where I, I put on a pair of boxers over my pants and walk around with oh silly glasses and ask stupid questions and, and try to make people look stupid too so uh, yeah that's that there's definitely proof of that i want to digitize it and put it on youtube and stuff like that i think it's really funny uh, the other thing too that i got to do on tv when i was younger was in 2001 i actually got to be on the former channel 2 action news quiz bowl show they had called Q. And so my first time ever going into our building in Midtown was being on that show that they would air each weekend. And I was on there with my high school academic bowl team, which I was really involved with in high school. So, 
You, you can see real quickly that I was involved more on the, the nerdy and the and the, the nerdy and the art side than the athletic side. <laughs> Did you? Are, were you the guy in elementary school that used to bring the projector to the classroom, hook up the film, and show uh, it for no, the teacher? No, no, okay. That, <laughs> that that was that was before I your time. Didn't how to hook it up though. <laughs> <laughs> I was, we did have the projectors. We did have a little bit of that. It was mainly the, you know, the big uh, the carts with the TV and the VCR and the laser disc player on them. Oh that wow! Is what we would push around. Uh, but yeah, I, I will say you asked about what I was in. I was from the time I was a little kid interested in sound equipment, and I used to bother the sound equipment guy at the church I grew up in, Claremont Baptist. I, I, I would go up to Bobby Smith and try to help him turn the mixer on and stuff, you know, and I was obsessed with microphones and things like that. And now that, that even probably preceded an interest in actual broadcasting was just the sound equipment. I'm still not great with equipment to this day, but I have a little bit. If you had told me as a kid that I would have my own mixer board and microphone as an adult, I probably would have passed out with excitement. Oh, there you go. Oh, really? Yeah. Now... The special person you mentioned, uh, Captain Herb, Herb Emery, he is a most, was yeah. the most approachable guy on the planet. If you know, if he if he knew you were earnest about your uh, your pursuit, let's put it that way. Give us give tell us a little bit about Captain Herb. Oh, for sure, and, and that's you started with a great point there. If he knew you were earnest about your pursuit and you were genuine, he would he would pay you back. Some people talk about avenge, you know, being sevenfold or whatever, right? Like he, he would pay you back in generosity more than sevenfold if if he saw you, you were genuine, you know. And I mean, but he had you around many times and calling into his show, visiting our uh, tent when we did our race day stuff. And so you were definitely on that list. But but Captain Herb was just an incredible uh, human being. He had a real heart for public service, and that's where it started, right? It was public service, and he saw whether it was traffic reporting, race announcing, and volunteering in charities, or, you know, helping put on events and promote other people's, you know, nonprofits. He saw all of that kind of wrapped up into the same thing. And even though the racing show and the traffic reporting job were for-profit businesses, you know, working for our company, right? It was not a charity. You could still be charitable in doing those things. And he really saw it as his platform. He got a chance to spread some good. So whether he spread that good actually just helping people out of traffic jams on the radio or whether he saw it as he knew he was privileged to have a job with a, you know, with a, a fairly decent salary and all that and being able to be generous to people, he, he used all of the tools in his toolbox to, you know, further, I mean, I, you know, I, to get religious, honestly, to further the, the kingdom of heaven on earth is the way I look at it, to, to further the love of God on earth. So that's, that's certainly what he did, and I learned a lot from him, and it was really him that taught me. I mean, I remember a very pivotal conversation we had early in my career where I said to him something along the lines of, I remember exactly what we were like riding on I-20 together, and I was driving him, which is also an adventure. But, uh, he, <laughs> but he, I, he said to me, or I said to him, hey, you know, I was still a part-timer and still trying to figure out my deal, right? And I said, hey, you know, if this broadcasting thing doesn't work out, I might just be a missionary or be, you know, go work for a charity because I really want to help people. And he looked at me almost hurt, and he goes, you don't think we're helping people, big boy? <laughs> well, and it was like the light bulb came on, you know? I mean, but really, I, it was pivotal because then I realized that you're not automatically excluded from the moniker of helping people or actually from the charge or the duty of it just because you work for for-profit jobs. So whether you're scooping ice cream 
I mean, we see it on display at Chick-fil-A every day, right? Yeah. You know, wherever it is, you, you, when you're good to people and have good service and with a smile on your face and make people feel better, you're still serving them even though you're doing that for a living or even though your company is making a lot of money doing it. So that, that, that's who he was. And, you know, the way, as a lot of people do know, the way he passed away, which was helping pull people out of a car that crashed in front of his house, and then directing traffic and dying of a heart attack while he was directing traffic. The fact that he died as a public servant in the middle of traffic is, to me, one of the most poetic things I've ever heard. So that's who Captain Herb was, and he tried to use the racing show as a platform to help other people's community service events and, and, and help promote other people's racing careers. And I know I'm rambling on, but I just want to say uh, I'm looking at my wall here. I call my man cave or home studio the Captain Herb Ballroom, because he called his the Tiny Lund Ballroom after his favorite driver growing up. And so I named this the Captain Herb Ballroom. But the person I have the most memorabilia of is David Reagan. And David Reagan, Georgia driver, he's my age. As many people listening probably know he's a Georgia driver. And David Reagan, when he was a little kid driving the Rudy's Sausage Legends car, would come on Captain Herb's show and he would have on these kids, you know, growing up. And so David always felt a loyalty to Captain Herb when he made a big to still stop by like he was an everyman Joe, and he's, he's always acted that way because of, of how Herb treated him when he was a kid, and he wasn't a big star. So that's, that, that happened over and over and over again with David Reagan, and if you remember a guy that Conyers used to race, Ron Young. Yep. Captain Herb actually had a sticker on Ron Young's car in the Xfinity Series. Chris Cockrum, who hasn't raced in a couple of years, but Chris Cockrum used to have CaptainHerb.net on the back of his racing rides, or, you know, that, that's, that, that's what Herb was doing as well. Cool stuff. And he, even at that, you know, when he would show up at a car show with his 62 Galaxy police car, he always drew a crowd, and yeah. he always had a crowd of people around him. Just a, just a regular down-to-earth that, guy. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what yeah, was it so like, that, Doug? That's correct, and, and, and that... Go ahead, go ahead, Doug. And that galaxy is on display in Dawsonville at the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame right now. His widow, Karen, arranged to have it up there. Cindy Elliott, Chase's mom, uh, who runs the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame, actually has it on a temporary display for a few months. So y'all can go see the, the Andy Griffith replica Mayberry Patrol car in Dawsonville right now. That's yeah. cool. So, Doug, tell us about the first time getting into the traffic copter. What was that like? When was that? What kind of helicopter was it in those days? Who was flying it? Well, right. Okay. So, a couple. Of, I don't remember who was flying at that time. I'll be honest, uh, because the day that I this is the craziest. So, I told you how crazy it was that the day I showed up at the radio station, he made me an intern. Yeah, that is not a thing, by the way. I run our intern department when we're allowed to have them anyway. And I mean, that's not how it works. Uh, he just kind of did it because he's Captain Herb, and that's what he did. You know, he he, he could do what he uh, not what he wanted, but you know, he can get a lot more done than a lot of people could. Uh, that day, after getting me a badge printed, he's like, all right, big boy, you want to go ride in the helicopter? And I'm like, what? Are you, you know, I really didn't think this was going to happen. And this was May 25th, 2004, the day I met him. That morning, there's a huge chemical plant in Rockdale County that burned down. And it was a big story. The chopper was over it all morning. Uh, I think Captain Herb and Mark Aram actually helped Channel 2 win an Emmy for covering that or something. It was, it was ridiculous. 
I watched that on the news that morning before meeting Captain Herb at the radio station, at the TV station too, and then he lets me follow him over to Charlie Brown Airport in Fulton County, and we go get in the same helicopter that we're flying in now, which is a, a Bell Long Ranger. Um, that's a 1994 aircraft, so it was only 10 years old when I got in, and now it's almost 30 years old. There we go. But, uh, that's, but I mean, it's, a, it's an aircraft that if it didn't have any equipment in it, it could seat probably six or seven people. And we see usually three people in it during drive time. There was four, or I guess there was three people in it when I flew in it as well. Um, cat, or four people, Captain Herb and the pilot, and then the photographer that sends the uh, shot back, and then I was in the extra seat. So that's what it was, and we flew all over town. I think we actually, uh, yeah, we flew over that chemical plant while it was still smoldering there that afternoon on May 25th. So it was a wild day, but that's what it was. I can't remember who was flying it then, but uh, we have a series of pilots now, all of them with, decades of experience each so we're in good hands so they, they didn't do any tricks or anything but they didn't do any yeah, tricks or anything while you were in the helicopter huh? Captain Herb wasn't the pilot. Yeah. <laughs> no but i almost fell asleep because when you're sitting in the back especially and that thing's rocking you and you're you, you know you've been up all day it, it can it can lull you to sleep so that uh that that i remember at one point i think the guy that was running the camera then i think it was a guy named matt Deneen who was on our traffic team for many years and uh, Matt Denise goes, hey, Herb, I think you lost your intern back here. <laughs> <laughs> I was not knocked. Not because I was bored, but because it was very relaxing. And I guess, you know, now I get to fly in it every day. So the, the fact that Captain Herb flew in it every day and then a smile of Mark McKay and I split up his duties on the air after his passing. And Mark McKay does mornings, I do afternoons. The fact that we get the opportunity to sit there and do something that he did every day is, is really cool. And of course, I'm not. I'm going to hold on to that job with my hands as long as I can. It's such a unique opportunity, especially getting to work after somebody that meant so much to me, like Herb did. I don't know. I, I, I uh, first time I flew in a helicopter was in Alaska, and I got to ask you some things about the helicopter because oh. I don't know one helicopter from another, uh, other than they can't glide. Uh, I barely do. But what <laughs> the helicopter I went up in held four people, and it had a glass floor. Or a clear floor, and it, it scared the heck out of me. Mm-hmm. Did, did your helicopter have a glass floor? I wasn't going to fall asleep. I yeah, can tell you that it does in the front. Yeah, <laughs> it does in the front. But a lot of the, like, I got the it, most of that's obscured by the equipment you have in front of you. So it is helpful if the pilot's having to make a maneuver for the photographer to be able to better shoot what's going on below and you could you know as you're making the turn you can look like between your feet and see something that you know whereas you're the back of the helicopter is just the solid flooring but it doesn't freak me out no i mean it's you can you know, it's, yeah but you it's all <laughs> it, the helicopter's a lot sturdier than i am okay so I'm oh, okay there. all right but i've seen you on those uh those those things at the racetrack we're going to talk about that in a little bit those those towers or those cranes or things i'd, I'd freak out i'd you you know, more power to you, my friend. That's uh, that's amazing stuff. All right, so let's talk about the weather, uh, the traffic copter. When you guys are yeah. doing the traffic, it seems so seamless. How how do you tell us about that process? Right. Well, it's evolved over the years. You know, it used to be we'd have sometimes. I would even try sometimes to get away with having five people in one report, but we used to have three or four people in reports pretty often, and. The pandemic changed that. Uh, we realized, you know, we just didn't need to have that many voices on at the same time all the time. So now we have only two, but it, I mean, we still have at least three people, if not more, working during drive time 
on 95.5 WSB, you know, during rush hours, Monday through Friday. Uh, but the way it works is each person is given an assignment. So the person that's the lead anchor, which I am in the afternoons, decides what we're going to cover each report. And you say what you got to say, and then you throw to, you know, Alex Williams covered 75 in Cobb County or something like that, and then he does his deal. I mean, so it's, it's really pretty seamless. I mean, the only thing you can kind of get tangled up with is if they don't realize I'm doing the, the – if I say their name a little early in the toss and then have a little bit of extra after it or sometimes I have to say the name of our traffic center, Cooley Carrier Traffic Center, that kind of thing, you know, that can sometimes screw up, but usually we're pretty good about it. And I mean, you just you hear your name and start talking, basically. Huh, that sounds simple enough, but you're, you know, somebody's in the traffic copter. Where, where are these other people? Where, where are they seeing the traffic from? Right, at different places. So number one is our traffic center, which is a 24-hour space that, with, with a few exceptions, what, well, there is somebody on our station, 95.5 WSB, covered traffic 24 hours a day. Uh, sometimes that room is empty because, like, I have a home set up, for instance, and from 2:30 to 3:30 every day, I'm doing it solo from home because I live right next to Peachtree to Cab Airport. Right, but yeah. The, the traffic center has two, sometimes three people in it. Uh, in the afternoons, it has just one person because the other person on our afternoon team, Mike Shields, I mentioned Alex Williams, Mike Shields, he works remotely from home as well because he, he lives far away and he already comes in and does Channel 2's traffic in the morning. Right. He works with us in the afternoon, so he does it from home. Whether you're in our traffic center at work or whether at home, we have access to thousands of DOT cameras, and we can actually move a lot of those cameras and find okay. ourselves, and then access to the police scanners. Uh, we can make and take phone calls, different things like that that we use to collect our traffic, and we, we can update our traffic app and do stuff on social media. All of that is possible you know, through the Internet, basically, and we have an easier way, and you think about when you came to our remotes, bud, a long time ago at Atlanta Motor Speedway, we were having this big boxy ISDN unit. You had to have a special line to plug in. Now it's all over the internet. So I, I have studio quality audio at home because of an, e- an Ethernet connection. <laughs> you know, it's like really seamless and so much easier than it used to be to get on the air. So uh, because of that, that makes the information gathering easier too over a really good internet connection. And so we're able to have operations whether it's at home or in our studio. And then in the helicopter, we have a two-way radio to be able to talk back and forth to each other and to be able to talk on the air from. Um, I also have that in my car, and so does Mark McKay. So when we're parked at the airport waiting to load in the helicopter, we can still get on the air. Wow. Are you, are you amazed or what, Tim? Yeah. Every time I talk technology about cars, Tim Hayes is <laughs> over. Uh, yeah, he, right. You should my, see him right yeah, now. He's just but you know completely what, Doug, glazed. Every night when I get in my car to leave Duluth headed for commerce, and I'm hoping, I hope that they're going to talk about what's going on around Swanee on 85 as soon as I turn the radio on so I know which direction to go. Well, that's a lot of people depend on that for yeah. sure. That so, was tough last night, too. That was tough. Oh, yeah. We had a, a problem in the center lane for a good while there, 85 north of 317 on uh, on Monday night of the, day of record, the week we're recording this. So, yeah, that you know, it, it, you never know what that ride could do there because it, it, and here's the deal where crashes happen are usually where fast meets slow. And I know that sounds obvious, but traffic to me is usually harder to cover and worse in the 3 o'clock hour or 230 to maybe 315 or something than it is at 5.30. Because at 5.30, most places are going slow. To the okay. same point there in Swanee on your ride home, Tim, 
usually the brake lights start on 85 right at about old Peachtree in the afternoon. Right. And they go up to Lawrenceville, Swanee, that big merge there. And then uh-huh. it's really tr- tricky because 985 is weird. And usually the crashes are where that backup begins. People are hauling butt, and then they <laughs> hit the backup, and they're distracted or something happens that they hit it too late and they hit somebody. So Exactly. You're, you're in a tricky little stretch there. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, Doug, the funny thing about that is used to be if you knew the shortcuts and the ways around, you were in good shape in a lot of cases. But now that everybody's got GPS, yeah. everybody knows and so it doesn't really matter which way you yeah. go. You're still going to sit in traffic. Yeah, I mean, look, if you've got a significant amount of lanes blocked or an entire road shut down, you, you don't – I mean, there's obviously you don't want to go that way. Right. So then it's, you know, then it's knowing the alternate to the alternate to the alternate, right, and trying to pick that. And I've seen some pretty dumb stuff happen with GPS is where it sends people just – there's a stretch of 285 where – where GPS is, it seems like, send people to go basically on the ramps to 75 and back on to 285 next to Truist Park. Oh. And so that, that, it always backs up because it files down to a single lane. You never actually get on 75, but it's like you exit almost like you're going to Cobb Parkway, and then you just keep going straight and get back on 285 East, basically, is what happens. <laughs> and it's the same exit people use a ramp to 75. And so the GPS is sending them to the right, but really you should stay to the left in the main through lanes where you got two or three lanes you know, wide open, right. and then this one lane backs up, and they're all going the same place. So you got to be careful with your GPS. And another one is on your ride home, Tim, on 985 or 85 North, it doesn't tell you, and I just did this two days ago, it doesn't tell you to exit to 985 until you ride on it because it's t- it tells you, in one mile, stay on 85, and then at the last second, it's like, go up to 985. Yeah, right. You have to be really clever and, and know you should at least look at it and see if it makes common sense where you're going before you just blindly go there. You got that right. Well, what you're talking about here is pretty much Atlanta, Atlanta-based, and and we are a national podcast, so I want to. I, I think oh, anybody sure, yeah. could relate. No, I think anybody could relate what you're talking about in Atlanta to any big city and the people that cover it and the fantastic job you do of helping people. But on, on the national basis, a lot of folks know you from another source, and that would be the Performance Racing Network, which covers NASCAR races, both the Xfinity Series. I guess they carry the Truck Series, too. I can't remember all the stuff they carry, and they have a, a whole slew of, of shows and things. Yeah. Does, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tell us a little bit about going into the national spotlight with the Performance Racing Network and how that happened out of your traffic job. Well, for sure. I mean, number one, I mean, look, it's national, but there's not there's not a huge spotlight or anything like that. A lot of uh, a lot of us radio folks can walk in total anonymity <laughs> most times. But uh, what's what's really great is it's so humbling to be involved with people that I've listened to growing up. And it was true at WSB, it still is. And it's true also now with Performance Racing Network. So for those that don't know, the race broadcasts nationally are basically who broadcasts them is determined on who owns the track for the Cup and the Xfinity Series. And then all the truck races are done by MRN and the all-star race is done by MRN. So with with the SMI-owned tracks, which include Atlanta Motor Speedway and Charlotte and Bristol and and, and a, a slew of others, PRN does those races. Because of Atlanta and my living here, the, the way I got involved with the PRN deal is basically it's like WSB. You know, I, I was on WSB, which meant I got to start doing NASCAR stuff locally with Captain Herb and having media credentials. And 
Captain Herbin made friends with Doug Rice and Mark Garrow. And Mark Garrow used to have, he's the co, they are the two guys in the booth that do the main play-by-play on the PRN races. Mark Garrow had a slot on Captain Herb's Saturday show doing a news desk, basically called the Fast Car News Desk. So I got to know Mark a little bit. And then being at the track and know Mark, I got to know Doug Rice a little bit. And I used to send them little samples of things. And when I started doing PA announcing at Gresham Motorsports Park, which is another connection through Captain Herb and Bill Elliott's brother Dan, who used to run Gresham Motorsports Park, that, you know, I, I would send them little samples, and it just kept building and building. And then in 2012, uh, Steve Richards, the late PRM pit reporter, got sick right before the Atlanta race, and Doug Rice called me out of the blue and asked me if I wanted to fill in on pit road. And I couldn't believe it. I was gobsmacked. So I did that, and it went okay. And then I've had at least, since then, I've had at least one race a year with them since 2014. I usually do four or five races a year. Uh, my, my being on PRN in 2012 also allowed me to get to do some PA announcing at both Atlanta Motor Speedway and Charlotte Motor Speedway, too, uh, just helping them t- doing, you know, t- doing play-by-play on the loudspeakers. So it's been really cool to see how that's built. And at PRN, they, I got to hand it to Doug Rice, and I've seen this happen since I've joined, and I've been, you know, now it's 2023, so technically been there 11 years, right? But Doug Rice loves developing different talent. I, he loves moving pieces around like a general manager and, and finding people and diamonds in the rough and giving them their big chance, and we've seen it happen several times since then. So he did that with me, and I'm hoping to get more and more opportunities in the future. And what I love about it, guys, is that it's, like playing with house money for me. I go there and I still try hard to do a great job, but I used to go to the racetrack and put a lot of pressure on myself because I wanted my big break. I wanted the opportunity. Well, now I have the opportunity. It's I take a little bit of pressure off myself and just go over there and try to do well. My full-time job is reporting on slow cars and Atlanta traffic. I like having a part-time golf game on the side that actually pays me to get to cover fast cars. That's interesting you say that because what you do on the Performance Racing Network is very similar to traffic reporting in a sense. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about, yeah. you know, it, it is seamless when you listen to it on the radio. Tell us a little bit about getting to the track, uh, what you guys do, uh, guys and gals do as far as meetings, and who determines who's going to cover what. Yeah. And, and let us know, tell us a little bit about the backstory. Yeah, for sure. So there's... I guess you could say on air-wise, this doesn't include the great people that engineer the broadcast and direct the broadcast, but on the air, there's basically three positions. There's the booth announcers, the booth play-by-play guys, guys, which are almost Doug Rice and Mark Garrow, and I've been fortunate on a couple of standalone Xfinity races to get to do play-by-play in the booth, so that that's a huge honor. I can't believe I can ever say I've done that. That's amazing. Uh, but So there's the booth, there's the turns, and then there's the pit reporters. The the booth and the turns coordinate with each other, and they know when to talk up until and drop off, and then the next person just immediately starts talking. So when they're coming down the front straightaway, basically when the cars exit turn four, that's when the booth announcers take over, and they alternate lap by lap. So it's Doug one lap, Mark the other. Doug Rice, Mark Garrow, one lap, one the other. And then once they hit turn one, the turn one and two announcer takes it until halfway down the back straightaway. And then the turn three and four announcer, which turn one and two is usually Rob Albright, turn three and four is usually Pat Patterson. They take over for each other at the halfway mark of the back straightaway. And then, you know, sometimes you get a little backed up and you carry it too far, so then it's the job of the next person to shorten up what they got to say so you don't throw it all off for everybody. 
So that's how it works on the play-by-play. The exciting, you know, you're hearing it now on pit road. You, um, during the race, especially during long green flag runs, when the action has started to taper out on the track, the pit reporters are listening. They have an assigned set of drivers that's based on the section that they're standing on pit road. So when I work pit road in Atlanta, I have the first section pit in, and you get about 10 or 12 cars. You are scanning all of those cars and then putting priority on the ones that are actually in contention, and you're listening for them talking about the handling or maybe potential issues or the driver blowing up at another driver or whatever juicy stuff you can find. And then you're talking down the line off the air to the race director and pitching your stories to them. Laura Beth Barnhart's our expert, awesome, amazing race director in those races, and she's hearing from everybody and having to sort it all out. And then she'll tell you, all right, stand by with that. And then while Doug and Mark are sitting there talking in the booth, she will point at our name on, on the window, and they'll know to throw to Doug Turnbull on pit road with an update on Chase Elliott. So that's, that's how the pit – and then when pit stops are happening, if it's during a caution, it's very much in order. Me tossing to the you know, next per- – tossing to Brad Gilly or whoever, tossing to Wendy Gitcherini or something like that, right? And you, have, you need to talk, and you're trying to talk just long enough to cover an entire pit stop – you can hear the car drop and, and light up its wheels and go away. Um, that sometimes doesn't work out, just especially on pit end, because they'll come to you kind of early and you don't want to take everybody else's time. Um, but but if it's during, so you go in order by where you're standing on pit road when it's a caution. However, during green flag stops where they pit all over the place, right, guys? That's different. You're, you're sitting there, and, and in the booth, they're watching. They're like, hey, Doug, Chase Elliott's about to pit. Are you, and, you know, I'll tell them, okay, i got to stop. i got Chase Elliott. You know, and, then I, and then I'll call it, and then they're telling me in my ear, pitch to Brad, pitch to Wendy, pitch to Brett, whoever. So that's a little more confusing, right, because you're, you're down there, and, and you're, having to listen, you're having to talk and also listen at the same time. And you're talking, and what if a problem happens in front of you? you got to call it out. You can't just say four tires of fuel and hope you're right. So, you know, it really, there's a lot going on. I think the pit reporting part, it's a lot of fun, and it may be the part that's most similar to traffic reporting because of listening to the police scanners and getting all this information. But it's, it's also, I mean, it's also very exhilarating. It's tough, but it's very exhilarating. And, it, you know, the play-by-play stuff, I think, is a lot of fun. There's a lot of pressure on you. You're on the air a lot more often. But I think the play-by-play is a lot more straightforward than the pit reporting is. Also, the pit reporters are in charge of doing driver intros and going and interviewing drivers and starting the race, and you're just trying to make sure you don't interview somebody we've already talked to. And then post-race, you're in charge of talking to the top finishers of Victory Lane. So that's the you know that's that's basically how it goes. And again, when you're talking to a driver, Denny Hamlin said they're talking to me. Laura Beth tell me pitch to Wendy, pitch to Wendy. So I, I barely even hear what Denny Hamlin has to say because I'm trying to make sure I execute who I throw to next. <laughs> wow! Talk about multitasking. Man, that's a lot. <laughs> so you yeah. and I, you and I yeah. have have known each other 18, 20 years, and Tim's known you from the traffic reporting forever and ever. Uh, what what is uh, you know what? What does Doug do when he's not doing all of this? Because this sounds, this sounds, <laughs> this sounds crazy. Parts of it just sound overwhelming, if you will, to, to us guys that do a simple radio show or podcast. Uh, that's a good question. Well, I mean, I love watching the races, so I do plan a lot of stuff that happens in my weekend around when the race is on. I do volunteer at my church and help lead a high school guys a small group within our youth group. And and unfortunately, yeah, I started doing that last year. Unfortunately, that airs or that not that airs that happens during when the race is airing. 
a lot Uh-oh. of times. So, mm-hmm. so I hope I can catch the end of the race when I'm leaving or you know, listen to it on the radio on the way home or whatever it is. But that's, you know, that, so that's one thing I do is I'm, you know, really involved. And so is my wife, Momo, and our church. We're, we also are each heavily involved in, in, you know, adult small groups. I, I lead a men's Bible study on Tuesday nights uh, virtually. So it's easier to attend. Um, and then, you know, we just, I mean, what I like to do besides watch a race, I love the Braves. So I try to watch and listen to the Braves as much as I can. And but besides the stuff of PRN, you know, PRN is only four or five races a year. To keep the fires hot, and you know, you both know about this, but I, I love doing hits on you guys' show, you know, and we have uh, big pertinent races coming up. I also host my own Five to Go Racing podcast which with Dan Elliott, uh, Bill's brother, Chase's uncle, and then Devin Kupka, who's a young up-and-coming fan like I remember being. Right. Uh, we get on there and just chop it up about five or six big racing topics each week, and we put that up on our website, wcradio.com, and on PRN's website, too. They're gracious enough to put it, goprn.com. So I'm trying to think what else. I mean, you know, my wife and I, when we had a chance, we like to go hiking. Uh, we like finding good places to eat and spending time with family and we got to travel. We travel a good bit because we love traveling, and also my wife is German. Her whole family's in Germany, or most of her family. So, you know, there, there's quite a bit of time that's spent doing that, and I've got family all over the country too. So, those are uh, those are a lot of the big pillars of what's going on. What's next for uh, Doug Turnbull? Look five years down the line. Where next, do you see Doug? You know, this is. <laughs> So here's the thing, and, and I mean, I don't know anybody cares about this except for me, but I, but the thing is, is that, you know, when I got the opportunity in 2014 to begin managing my tra- the traffic team that I work on at WSB, and that, that's a 24-7 operation, so sometimes I'm getting pulled into times I'm having to work at times I wasn't expecting to because of that, or just a, things will come up that require my attention in the off hours. Not all the time, but sometimes. Um, but I don't have aspirations to be – usually if somebody gets a manager role like that in radio, it's so not in NASCAR, but radio, you want to, like, climb the ladder and eventually become the assistant program director or program director or general manager of a radio cluster, uh, you know, group of stations. But that's not really my track. I, I really want to stay on the air as a reporter and not be a suit, <laughs> okay? I understand. That's for other people, <laughs> higher stress. It's higher pay, but it's way higher stress, and I don't get the payoff of getting to be on the air, which gives me the most adrenaline. Leading people does too, but being on the air is like what really gets it going, right? Uh, so I really feel like I'm in a place where I just want to be, and I want to just do that job great and find out what the next innovation is within traffic to keep us relevant to traffic on the radio five, ten years down the line. You know, and I got to be involved a few years ago in helping develop our traffic app the Triple T Traffic Alerts app here in Atlanta, which, you know, it, it, it does stuff that other traffic apps don't, you know, and we our reports play when people drive near the traffic incidents, and, they, and we record those reports, you know, so it's not just a robot talking to you. So that that's something, you know, but that that's developed, and it's been out for almost six years now. So I don't know what's next as far as that. And as far as NASCAR, you know, the it's no secret that a lot of the people that you've heard on PRN for a long time have been doing this since the PRN's been around since the late 80s, and a lot of people on the PRN team have been there over 30 years. There's going to be a time in the next five years or so where a lot of them probably are looking to trim down their schedules, and myself and some other people are hoping that we get more opportunities to be there and maybe do it, you know, 10 or 12 races a year. You know, I'd love to be able to do that. And PRN, because it's not MRN, you know, there's a few less PRN races and tracks, 
and, and it's a more manageable schedule than trying to be at the race, you know, 35 times a year or whatever it is. So um, that's, that's the, you know, I, I hope that over time that my schedule expands there, but that's all in God's time. I'm not rushing that. And I just you know, hope to stay relevant and doing the job I love. I would love to retire doing exactly what I'm doing right now, and I'm very content, which is to be a good or a bad thing. We'll see. I don't think you'll ever retire. You're, you're just as goofy as the rest of us to just keep on doing this stuff because we love it. You get into the circus and you can't get out. Well, that may be it. <laughs> you know, I said to somebody recently, I'm like, I don't know, man. You make a lot more money when you're working than when you retire. So I think my retirement plan is just keep working. <laughs> but, you know, I do have a retirement plan, thank God. Thank okay. Those of us who have been there long enough have a pension, so that's good. But, yeah, I... I, I love having my hat in the ring with something, and there's really just, just getting to talk with you guys is exhilarating. But being certainly on live radio, doing play by play or doing traffic is—I mean, I get a rush. I still get a rush doing it, and I'll do a report, and I literally turn around, and I kind of—it's not I'm lightheaded, but I sort of have this like, Phew, you know, I'll, I don't even hear what's next on the radio because I'm like, okay, yeah. And cool. that's hard to replace. I don't know that it is replaceable. It's sort of like an athlete being a part of a fraternity in, in a baseball team or a football team. I, I, I guess I sort of feel that way. Not that I'm anywhere close to being athletic, let the record show. Well, where you are is a good place to be. Many people would love to find that happiness and where they're, where they're happy going to work every day and, you know, seeing what comes at them next. And, uh, you know, we wish you well, and we're going we're gonna to stay involved in your, in your world as long as we're here. And uh, you're, you're welcome back on Bud's Crouch Overdrive anytime. And uh, you know where Bud's Garage actually is, so when you're up in the mountains here, you know, hiking. I have been uh, there. Yes, you have. So it is a real place. But uh, Five to Go podcast, uh, you, can, you can catch it. We're, we're, linking, we're linking our podcast to your podcast now, and uh, um, that's launching this week. <laughs> so people can click on a link and go right to the Five to Go podcast uh, from Bud's Garage Overdrive. So it's uh we appreciate oh, I you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Doug, you've been a great friend over the years. Uh, look forward to doing a lot more stuff with you. And uh, you know, thank you for taking the time uh, out of your crazy schedule, as we can tell. We're looking at each other, thinking he's what? He's listening to this person in this ear and this person in this ear, and he's talking at the same time. And wow. Good stuff. Yeah, both both jobs are similar in that regard. You got a lot of voices in your head, so whatever amount of extra voices I had in my head, uh, but you know, before getting into <laughs> before uh, getting into broadcasting, it's definitely multiplied. So, yeah, I appreciate you all for giving me a chance to come on and speak with you about it, and you know, I'm really thankful for your support and, and love that you're out there doing what you're doing too. Well, Doug Turnbull. WSB Radio here in Atlanta and uh, also Performance Racing Network nationally doing the NASCAR races. Um, thanks for taking the time. Thanks a lot, Doug. Our favorite muscle car restoration folks are... Year One in Cornelia, Georgia. Yeah, they are classic car, uh, classic muscle car restoration people. they got something so cool here. They have got a coloring book out. I never mm. saw this before, but I've got one of their email blasts, which everybody listening should get. You should right. go to yearone.com, get on their email list. And they've got a coloring book of all the popular uh, muscle cars. And they, it's an outline, outline design, as every coloring book is. And we, you know, the three of us should have a contest. 
Oh, see yeah. Who, I'm going to get three of these coloring books and okay. see who stays inside the lines. Well. Nobody. No. no. <laughs> but I, while I was looking at this, I was thinking this is so cool because I could make a copy of one of the pages. Like when I built my Nova, I could have made a copy of the page and, and done some things on paper before mm-hmm. I did them on the car. Right. Yeah, you could. Yeah. How, how much more trouble could I gotten myself into? <laughs> Another thing that I did use when I was doing my car was the uh, assembly manuals that are available from year one for specific cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took pictures of everything, and I made a lot of diagrams and a lot of drawings and, and you know, all that, and tagged and wrapped everything. But when it came to putting it together, it sure was handy to have the assembly manual. Sure it is. Just so you don't put one... Th- the sequence of events is important mm-hmm. in the assembly manual. Right. Uh, that's what gets lost sometimes in taking pictures. You know, do oh, I yeah. put the window in first or do I put the track in first? Exactly. And sometimes you got to do it different ways. So, And if you go all the way to the end of their email blast that they put out, you will see Bud's Garage is at the bottom of the page. Okay. And check out all the specials. Uh, we're right there with Kenny Wayne Shepherd, O'Neill Outside, BF Goodrich Tires, Hot Rods Children's Charities. Um, driving at home, year one, and Industrial Depot. We're all sharing the bottom of that page. Okay. Great folks, and deal with all of them if you possibly can. Right. Check them out at yearone.com. Well, Tim, it's time, time to thank some folks. Okay. <clears throat> let me try to let them. Let me. Well, Tim, it's time to thank some folks. Okay. Jacobs Media, providing the studio every week, and our producer, Bill Wilson, extraordinaire. Listen for Bill on uh, all the media. What, what do they call that? Not media. It's called uh, trivia. Trivia. Media yeah. trivia. Come out and see me if you're in the North Georgia listing area. And if you're, and not, if you're not, tell us how to do not, that. If you're not, go to djtrivia.com, find a game near you, and know that I help to write those questions and have a good time. That's what you get the big money for. That's it. Yeah. All right. Doug Turnbull, PRN reporter, good friend of the show, uh, Bud's Crotch. And uh, he's got a podcast, the Five to Go podcast. And, uh, you know, it's uh, all based on NASCAR stuff. Good to listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, year one, muscle car restoration, folks. Oh, keeping, yeah. um, you know, American performance alive and well. Lanier Technical College, where you cannot just get a job. You can learn a trade. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they have so many different programs to pick from. And Concept One, the pulley systems specialist for Chevrolet uh, Ford engines. And uh, they've always got something new going on. Check them out at Concept One. And uh, all of you for listening every week. We uh, we appreciate it. We've got people in Belgium listening, Africa, Canada. Oh, that's awesome. It is awesome to see the countries that are represented. Uh, apparently, they have no, no whatever you call it. Well, no FCC. No FCC or any of that. Yeah. You're, you're allowed to listen if you want. Mm-hmm. No. You're like the U.N. of the grease pits. Yeah. <laughs> well, we appreciate uh, you folks tuning in every week and uh, continue to do so. And we'll continue to do this informative automotive buffoonery for you. If you want to listen to us on terrestrial radio, you can go to AM 515 FM 102.9 out of Gainesville, Georgia. That would be WDUN. And we also upload. Is that the proper term? Upload. upload. Is we, we Access is the website. Yes. And we upload the Bud's Garage podcast, mm-hmm. same way we upload this one. So just check out either Bud's Garage Overdrive or Bud's Garage, Bud's Garage. Or save and get two at the same time. Oh, oh yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. 
By the way, next week's guest is Joe Steinmetz. You know who Joe Steinmetz is, Tim? Of course you did. Uh, of course you did, I do. Yeah. yeah. Joe is was a high school student of mine, and he is now the car keeper curator, has been doing this for 30 years. Mm-hmm. For Milton Robson, who collects cars, uh, he's from uh, Gainesville, Georgia. And, and Joe is very knowledgeable. Absolutely. And, and Milton is nationally known. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very interesting to find out what goes on behi- behind these auctions, uh, taking taking care of par- cars, mm-hmm. taking care of uh, getting the cars, right. what kind of cars Milton prefers and different collectors prefer, and, uh, you know, the... The real deals and the not-so-real deals. Well, and knowing the difference between a car that has been well-built or well-restored and not. Yeah. It ain't like you always see on TV. Mm-mm. All right. Remember to keep between the ditches, shiny setup. We'll see you next week right here at Bud's Garage Overdrive. Have a wonderful week.